There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business or, let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you. Introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5K. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Union Bank Global Linker, a free digital platform that empowers Filipino MSMEs to digitize their business and go global. Sign up now at unionbank.globallinker.com to get a free ebook on surviving COVID-19 for your business. Also by Ideaspace, a nonprofit supporting innovation and technopreneurship as a path to nation building. Ideaspace runs an annual startup competition. For more information, make sure to sign up for their newsletter at ideaspacefoundation.org slash connect. Also powered by Podmetrics, the only analytics platform you'll ever need for your podcast. Sign up now at podmetrics.co for free and use the code HUSTLESHARE. The right time uh, to monetize your business um, is something that everyone and every business person should be watching out for because every business is a cycle. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Bate Young. Welcome to episode 99 of the Hustle Share podcast. My name is Ronster, and I'm your host. And this episode is powered by Union Bank Global Linker a free digital platform that empowers Filipino MSMEs to digitize their business. We are a proud affiliate of the podcast network Asia, but before we begin, we'd like to remind you that this podcast contains not safe for work language, so make sure there are no kids when you're listening to this. Because today, we're going to be having one of the most well-known businessmen in the country, and he's none other than Mr. Ernest Koo of Globe Telecom. 
But before we blow you away with the contents of this episode, Ernest is going to go back on how he started and what he learned from his parents by helping out in their family business and what he also learned when he migrated to the U.S., to study and work on his first few jobs. Now, Ernest is also going to tell us how he started his journey as an entrepreneur, along with what he learned when his first business failed. And then he's also going to share what he did to come back here in the Philippines and revolutionize the BPO industry as we know now. And of course, we're going to go to a deep dive of how he runs Globe Telecom and how they harness the power of technology and innovation for the future. So if you're ready to learn the hustle behind Globe Telecom, let's begin this episode right now. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle Share podcast. I am still mind blown because the guy that had had so many tidbits of in previous episodes from Minette Navarrete, from Martin Koo, and Ari Cater uh, Koo, is now finally with us. And it's not a fluke because it's, I've always dreamed of having him at this very special time. You're episode 99. But before I get carried away, let's be welcome to the show the president and CEO of Globe Telecom, Mr. Ernest Koo. <laughs> oh my God. Ernest, welcome to the show. Hey Ron, uh, great to be on the show finally. Uh, you've interviewed um, a lot of my colleagues, my family with Martin and Ari, and, and I'm just glad to have the chance to, to be with you on this podcast as well. Thank you again so much. Again, this is a special, special day because again, we want to learn from the hustle of what uh, built the biggest telco in the Philippines. But before I get carried away, I need to ask you the million dollar question. Ernest, what's your hustle? Uh, currently, Telco uh, CEO, uh, but also uh, the side hustle, if you would call it that, um, in that gig, is bringing um, digital enablement uh, to the Filipino, uh, whether it's by way of connectivity or services. You know, we've been bringing to market a lot of services in fintech, mm-hmm. uh, health, um, very soon, other plays in e-commerce and and, and, and again, enablement, not only for households, but also for businesses. That's correct. And again, what Minette actually told me that, you know, you should ask Ernest a lot about uh, how you were able to transition from, you know, having telephone lines and cables and whatnot to now literally digital services and lifestyle enabled services. But before I get carried away, Ernest, I need you to buckle up because we're going to go all the way back and we're going to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. Still no budget, still sounds like a fairy tale for us. But I want to understand, Ernest, on your first hustles or, or growing up, right? Um, what was that like? What were your early influences? Because again, uh, we've said this so many times in the show that our early influences make an indelible mark to how we do our grind. What was that like for you? And what was the mindset that you were uh, born upon or did you grow up upon? Well, one of the biggest influences, obviously, family. Uh, my father and mother uh, were both entrepreneurs. They were partners in the business, uh, you know, back in the 60s. And so I've always grown up in a um, family of um, entrepreneurs, right? My, my father, um, you know, basically, you know, started, you know, businesses that were not, were new, 
You know, like oh, wow. as service stations were coming in, modern gasoline stations were coming into the market in the early 60s. Oh, he wow. opened one in Quezon City. And as air conditioning was starting to get into cars, he got into that as well. Oh, uh, and he built the largest aftermarket. At that time, there was no OEM anyway, uh, supplier of air conditioning systems for cars. And, mm-hmm. and I got involved in that very early. Uh, you know, I, I did have um, a passion for cars when I was growing up. And mm-hmm. what better chance than be around these things um, growing up and, and, and every day, right? So I used to help them out, um, learning how to. Uh, how to build these systems, how to maintain them, and and um, you know slowly learned uh, right. from the different you know attributes that that I've seen. You know he, he was always looking for new things, and I think that kind of sparked my my own quest uh, for you know I like new businesses, right? Mm. Not, not businesses that have been done before. Correct. You know I, I typically don't get into crowded spaces in business, and that's what Blue I saw. Ocean and, strategy. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Okay. Now, did you get involved in these types of business, and what did what did you do for these uh, businesses that your family put up? Yeah, since they were automobile related, and I had a passion for cars at that time, I was involved, uh, particularly in the air conditioning business. I helped my dad uh, in the technology side of things. Oh. Uh, I'm a tinkerer, um, okay. as most people probably know, and um, I kind of helped him uh, build. Um, an assembly facility for, you know, those air conditioning compressors mm-hmm. and kind of, uh, he made me kind of designated me the kind of expert for that and sent me to training in Japan with oh, our wow. suppliers for a few months, mm-hmm. um, just to ensure that I knew every bit and every piece of that particular, um, machine or machinery. And so, you know, uh, we built it, we, as we, we started by bringing in full units and suddenly, you know, and then we moved into bringing in partially knocked down or semi knocked down type of, uh, uh, compressors and finish them over here to reduce wow. the taxes and put some value add from labor in the Philippines. That's amazing. Now, one thing that really stuck with me in, in my, I remember my season one finale was Martin, right? And he said that there's so many indelible things that he, you taught him about business and he learned that from you at an early age. In your case, what were those things that your, your father and your mother taught you about business very, very early on that you still bring into this day? Well, from my mother, it's obviously the, the tightness in managing the funds and the financials. Uh, I knew she was very meticulous about that in terms of record keeping and stuff. So even today with my own personal stuff, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm um, you know, that, that's always been a, a hallmark. Um, in the companies that we start, even with my, my daughter, when she does her startup, uh, I've encouraged her to, you know, uh, start with proper record keeping, proper organization. That way it doesn't Go come and bite you in the ass later, right? When you when you're a little bit bigger <laughs> and, and, and things get messy, uh, at least these things are taken care of. So establish the base. Uh, with my father, it was really uh, the new things, the new stuff. Really. He, they, he he didn't go for stuff that saying, "Hey, this guy's doing business. Three of them are doing it. Let's go into do a fourth one." Uh, it's like let's look at the trends and let's see what's happening and let's open <clears throat> something that uh, is going to be ahead of its time or, you know, saying hasn't been done yet, you know, yeah. and uh, that, that also cemented my preference for those kinds of businesses. Okay. Also, uh, the negative side, um, my dad, given, I guess he's got kind of, you know, oper- you know not quite operational mm. now and more of an idea guy, he wasn't able to scale the businesses uh, quite mm. well. 
and probably rode the business a little bit longer uh, into the sunset rather than having uh, to exit and monetize the business uh, in a different way. So I also uh, was influenced by that. And, and as you know, I, I do buy and sell businesses yeah. um, in, in my time, all right, or take them public. Um, mm-hmm. um, but again, the, the right time uh, to monetize your business um, is something that w- everyone and every business person should be watching out for because every business is a cycle. That's right. right. And, if, and if you don't evolve it and if you just keep running it the same way, it's going to mm-hmm. be run to the ground. That's correct. Wow. That's amazing advice already. Now, but I want to understand now, you said, you know, at, as a, it's always the first mover advantage, right? And usually when you have the first mover, or again, you're going into a business uh, with a target in your back because it's either you you get exposed first and all these things, uh, all the followers that actually can learn from your mistakes is going to happen. You need to build management skills. And I think that's one thing you built through studying as well. You, you studied in Kellogg. Oh my God. <laughs> Northwestern University yeah. in Kellogg. What was then now the things that you've learned that you can adapt combined to what you learned from your parents? Because now there's solid, solid management skills that you can apply. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kellogg was a supplement to my college education, right? I mean, yeah. I, I took um, uh, industrial management engineering mm-hmm. uh, in La Salle, and I, and I felt it was a time, kind of halfway engineer, halfway business person, and I wanted to obviously focus on business at that point in time, and when I went to business school. Business school was an eye-opener. It was kind of uh, my first uh, entry to the new world. It was I was 22 years old. Okay. Uh, I, I was one of the few that went straight from... Uh, undergrad to grad school without a break, wow. without a job in between. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I felt really, you know, fish out of water and, you know, yeah. felt uh, intimidated by the, um, you know, by the classmates you had. I mean, guys had worked for Goldman, Kinsey, BCG. Oh, wow. And here I was straight fresh from, you know, a, a, a school in the Philippines with just a, a small business background and it was quite intimidating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the good thing is after a while you gain your confidence. Um, um, I've always believed that, you know, education um, and its theories that it brings you. Um, I think the theories are secondary to the development you as a person get, you know, being by being in school uh, development on how to learn development on how to network uh, development on dealing with different types of people. You know, uh, this is my first exposure to being in a multicultural group for case studies and stuff. And, and how, how, you know, I mean, you had uh, Americans mostly and Europeans in, in that particular class and um, having to get along with, the, you know, with that kind of culture, those two set different diverse cultures, I think was also key. Um, so, yeah, so I, I did have that and um, that kind of set the stage for my formative years in business in the U.S., you know, when... Uh, uh, after graduating, I, I, I also worked for a bank, okay, uh, wow. which is B of A. Um, okay. Not quite in the banking side of things, but already in the IT services mm-hmm. things. At that time, they called it timesharing. Timesharing? Uh, on the mainframe. Main uh, okay. I, was, I worked for a division called business services. Okay. So if you really think about it, it was some sort of BPO. Mm, they, they used excess computing capacity and um, used it uh, for customers Got it. Uh, to calculate payroll, to calculate accounts payable, to calculate receivables, 
you know, sort of, you know, they, they stored it in record and kept them in, 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 in those tapes, right? Or, mm, okay. <laughs> That's a, there's no cloud back then yet, right? These are all cloud. tapes. Yep. Yeah, dump terminals, green screens, feeding, wow. and keying data into a system that would calculate and spit out a report. Um, so yeah, that that was that was my first job in the U.S. Actually, mm-hmm. after that job, did you have any other stints before you then took the leap and started your own business as well? Well, I, I had two jobs in the U.S. Uh, that was the first one, and then I moved into a um, project manager role for again for IT systems for, for what was then one of the largest restaurant companies um, in the US it was okay. a company that had uh, I believe at that time of close to 4,000 uh, restaurants what? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's the holding company that owned Denny's Winchell's and El Pollo Loco in LA oh, um, wow. and uh, we I, I developed the um, led the development as project manager of an accounts payable system. Okay, <laughs> got it. So it goes circles day. back to the money. <laughs> and again, it was done on a mainframe okay. uh, and batch mode, um, and uh, it, it had to scale because we, okay. you know, with that many restaurants, they were handling like you know, I think fifteen thousand invoices a day or something like that. But you know, the US is big, right? So anything right. in the US is large volume. And again, so that that created a lot of um, learning as far as you know how systems are developed, what disciplines. Uh, what okay. checkpoints and, and you know um, I guess some of those things still rub off today got it all right now what did did you try your own first tab at business uh, in the US because this is something that I'm trying to really dig up and I couldn't see it online so I'm gonna ask you straight up did you yeah uh, what was the first business and uh, uh, what did you learn and how did that end up I, I think yeah the first one I was you know I think when you have an entrepreneurial bug in you, you've got to mm-hmm. scratch it every once in a while. And, yep. and um, uh, the, the, the first business that I went into was a business called Alpha Graphics. It Alpha was riding the wave of the um, transition and the disruption brought about by desktop publishing to the print industry. Oh. It was the first stages of print uh, becoming digital. Right, and you know, with the advent of the Mac and software, um, mm. people who used to uh, set type, layout pages, uh, using manual means and very expensive typesetting machines, as they were called at that time, mm-hmm. uh, were now able to do that uh, using a Mac and, and software like Quark Express or PageMaker at that time. And Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop. Oh, Adobe already had. <laughs> but the right. files we were we were transferring files via. Got it. Uh, which the the dial up stuff. Oh you know? wow, that's gonna take forever. <laughs> it does take forever. I right. remember, you know, it was always this, and you're gonna drive the file over. You're gonna transmit, right? right? And, and when someone calls, it gets disconnected. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's very tough. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, I did start a business in Los Angeles. Uh, grew it to. Uh, you know, very quickly, uh, very mm-hmm. successfully in the first three or four years into um, a, a string of four different uh, locations wow. uh, up, up until Can- one was in Canada, actually in Vancouver, because uh, wow. my, my family had a home All there. All the way up north. Okay. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, uh, as quickly as it, as it went up, it went down as well oh, no. uh, because uh, we were hit with the California recession. Um, oh, my. And, you know, there was an overcapacity of print um, in, in the area. And, uh, there, and we had to basically close the business down. Uh, 
that was very tough uh, because yeah. that was a um, you know the first failure you would say yes. uh, in your life and one that's quite humbling. Uh, obviously, sure. when it's the very first time it occurs to you, and you end up losing quite a bit of money, personal money mm-hmm. and family money as well. Um, but it, I did learn um, from that point of view again. The, the message I, I mentioned to you about holding on to the business for too long and and timing when the exit should happen. Yeah. Right, because the owner of that particular franchise system sold out the year before that collapse happened in the industry. Oh, and perfect timing for him. At that point in time, uh, I had offers for the business but did not sell with him, mm. and so that you know kind of uh, cemented in my mind that you know when an offer comes, uh, you, you should uh, look at it uh, and evaluate the offer from a bit more clinical. Yeah. Um, way rather than an emotional way right yeah. you know as they say don't fall in love with the business uh, right. right you know because you may not you may not want to part with it at the right time and, and that happened to me once in my life right mm-hmm. um and so um i i i yeah so that was the first venture into it and i had to start all over again and i think that was about 1992 uh, wow okay I, i'm one thing before we take our first break <laughs> i want to understand how you picked up yourself from the pieces because again most people always see the end product like okay Ernest Koo president of, of uh, presidency of globe you know you've, you've gone your way uh, from that point of view but I'll, I'll empathize a little bit because the startup you invested in my very first startup <laughs> party file right uh, also failed and again uh, took it was very humbling because and you I, I resonate uh, with what you said because I held on so much I, I could I literally couldn't draw which one is party file and which was me? It was literally synonymous with each other. And when it failed, mostly it's my fault. And I'm not, I even wrote a, wrote a blog about this that went viral. And again, so when you disappoint investors, such good people, you know, customers and everybody else in between, it's so humbling. It's so hard to bounce back. But one thing that also helped me is kickstart. When, when that happened, when he said, hey, uh, Alex Alabisa told me, one of the VPs back at that time said, hey, write it down. I didn't publish it to, to, to share it to everybody to get a pity party, but also, for some reason, it got dug up. And that was my springboard to bounce back right, right away. For you, how did you bounce back right away? And what are the things that you made sure you didn't want to do again so to prevent any uh, failures like that again? Well, you know, at that point, I was living in the U.S. and I was on my own and you really didn't have a choice, right? I had two kids. Yeah. Martin was already born, obviously. Oh, Christine. wow. You had a family. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had a family to take uh, to look after. I, I still had a little bit of savings uh, to go by. And, you know, you had to make ends meet. And, um, you know, I, I just, you know, found odd things to uh, do. Things like, you know, a, a small trading business with the Philippines and so on and so forth. Uh, until a uh, headhunter got a hold of me and said, would you like to work for this? Uh, and I think I did that for about a year. Okay. You know, close to a year. I didn't want to look for a job. Okay. Right? Yeah. Because, correct. I was going to go back <laughs> to the corporate world. Right. right. <clears throat> but so I, I, uh, there was this company out in LA that mm. said, we need help in transforming uh, our systems to digital. Mm. You know, uh, we had set up the original typesetting systems and we wanted, they wanted to scale. Um, it was a larger uh, print entity that was owned by a Japanese company, okay. and I said, "Yeah, let's just do a consulting engagement." I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah, I get sucked into the uh, going down and getting a job like most of us entrepreneurs, right? Right. And so, you know, um, I started as a consultant, 
Then they asked me to go full-time. Okay, fine, let's go full-time. Okay. Then um, there were some issues in the company, and then eventually I had to take over a CFO. Oh, okay. My first turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually um, they asked me to become the CEO uh, of the company <laughs> within a span okay. of two years and uh, wow. three years. It was. And I said, well, I'm not sure I want to be CEO of a print company. Okay, yeah. And um, at that time... Um, the offer uh, came uh, through friends in the Philippines who had been wanting me to come back to the Philippines uh, to work for, um, at that time, a quite small listed company called SPI. SPI. You know? And um, I wasn't really hard about going back to the Philippines. We had a settled life in the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the kids were in great schools, um, very difficult schools to get into, and they were in it. And... Um, you know, we were set, right? I mean, after that was about, we were now in the U.S. at that point in time for about 14, 15 years. Oh, wow. Already. That's a long time. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So your ways were set, right? I had never right. really worked, in you know, quote unquote, in the Philippines, right. nor had we ever lived as a family in the Philippines. And so okay. that, that was a, a quite a change uh, that we right. were going to go through. All right. Now let's take our first break, and when we come back, let's talk about how you then moved back and how you were able to drive SBI and the BPO industry. But let's talk about that more after the break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at PH, the country's biggest SaaS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at sasschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We're still with Ernest Ku of Globe, obviously. But before uh, we, he became part of Globe, he revolutionized 
the BPO industry through SPI. Was it SPI Global before or just SPI? SPI uh, Technologies. There was, SPI technology. but so, it wasn't, there was really no technology in it. It's PIPA. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. So, um, again, talk about us, uh, talk about um, the SPI movement and how you then, uh, when you came in, were you CEO right away? And what were the biggest challenges you had to overcome? Because you stayed here for quite a while. You know, and again, look at looking at BPO now. It, it's one of our biggest industries out there. But when back in the nineties, how was that like? Well, it, it, it when when the, when the job was um, presented to me, I found it immediately. You know, as you know, my penchant for the sunrise industries right. um, was there, and and I what a great idea I said to do work uh, using intelligent Filipino labor. Mm. Right, that was more cost effective, and do it for U.S. companies. Got it. I, I said this can go somewhere. Right, it. Um, it, it could really go a lot of places. You know, uh, because you're right. The U.S. at that point in time did thing many things they didn't want to do anymore. You look right. at it from our own points of view as residents in the U.S. Our gardens weren't taken care of by by the Americans. We had um, uh, uh, immigrants doing that kind of work. Construction work was done by something, and so why not clerical work? Right. Right. Um, and so when I saw the business, I thought this is a good one that we could take advantage of and, and bring to scale uh, mm-hmm. at some point. And, and uh, so I took that opportunity. Um, and I also had this thing in my, a bee in my bonnet about trying to run a public entity, um, mm-hmm. listed entity, which, right. you know, um, really... It's not the greatest thing in the world, actually. Oh, <laughs> you know, I've been running listed entities now for. <laughs> Everybody sees everything that you do, and then in your five years, close to twenty-five years, and, you know, right. it, it can be a pain uh, because right. of all the reporting and you know the expectation on a quarterly basis. But then again, as a young a young executive at that time, it's always in the back of your mind, right? What it's mm-hmm. like to run a stock, uh, a, a list stock exchange listed company, and mm-hmm. and SPI had that, and had Sun, Sunrise Industry it had a great founder. Um, who could mentor me uh, as well. His name was Alan Fraser. Um, you know, and uh, it was ironic because Alan uh, was the one teaching me, a Filipino, uh, how to work with Filipinos because I had never done that. <laughs> My whole work life was uh, wow. in the U.S. In the U.S. Right. Okay. And so I, I took quite a bit of pointers from him um, okay. uh, when I joined. Yeah. Got it. Now walk us through how you were able to then uh, grow that, because uh, especially in the mid two thousands, where you know I, I'm a product of that industry. Um, the reason why I talk like this because I was a call center agent yeah. in my first year of college, and if if I didn't learn English that way, um, first of all, there wouldn't be a podcast, and nobody would <laughs> listen to how I normally talk in Filipino. Number two is I wouldn't even get as close to anywhere I I, I got without my ability to talk. So, and that opened up a lot. I, I know so many success stories that started out in the BPO industry that they're now leaders of big companies or again, entrepreneurs as well. But walk us through how you were able to build that industry and how you were also able to inspire. Again, it's, maybe it's not good competition because all of a sudden this, is, this became a wave. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really uh, very gratifying to see how it's done because you know, at that time, there was no term BPO when I joined, right? Right, right. <laughs> we, had, we had various terms for it, IT-enabled service. We didn't know what to call it because there was nothing. Okay. Um, and SPI was the industry, <laughs> mm. you know, at that time, right? I mean, as when I joined the company, I think it had about 1,500 people. 
Wow. Uh, but they never did voice work. It was all um, non-voice. Back office, okay. Back office kind of work. A lot of mm-hmm. a lot of keying, and a lot of project work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, from um, medical uh, content and and various content on science. Uh, we had legal work, and uh, we even had engineering work. Uh, wow. Uh, but one facet of all those things was that the work was mostly project work. Got it. And it was very difficult uh, to manage the business then because the projects would come and go as they completed. So the faster right. you work, the faster you ran the out churn of work. Was, and so yeah. I decided at that point to uh, transform the company um, into, you know, from a 90% project-based business. I wanted to flip that into recurring revenues. Got it. Uh, but that involved... Um, shutting down some operations and chopping departments and divisions off to focus on certain areas of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we had a business uh, that did uh, engineering drawings or more updating of engineering databases for telcos. Um, I think it was US West and okay. these guys are no longer British Telecom and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, but it's very difficult because the gestation period for the project in terms of signing was long, the project mm-hmm. itself was long and you had a start sub cycle. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is one we have to shed and focus on the other two businesses that can give us long-term uh, recurring revenues. And we focused on the content side of the business mm-hmm. and the legal side of the business. And eventually yeah. wanted to go into the medical side of the business. Wow. Um, so, you know, it, you know, again, uh, I have, I seem to have this pension for, for, for getting into hot situations and transforming them. Yep. Uh, the printing company in LA was one of them. This was another one. Um, and along the way, um, you know, I had the idea of, you know, since we're doing textual work, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, the world of the web was coming and people were starting to interact with companies via email and no one was answering those emails. And I said, hey, that could be a great possibility to bring um, those, the traffic uh, of helping customer care be done in the Philippines. Uh, at first, the idea was uh, chat, maybe, and if there was chat then or email. Mm-hmm. Just emails. Right? People are complaining about emails not getting answered by Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. Um, and then I came across two individuals, um, Jim and Derek, uh, mm-hmm. who were ex-McKinsey guys, um, and said, you know, I think we can do voice in the Philippines. Oh, I go, you wow. got to be kidding me, right? I said, I don't <laughs> And so they showed me their studies, and I go, you yeah. know what, that's not a bad thing, you know? Wow. Um, you know, given our footprint in the Philippines and our ability to manage people, I said, why don't right. we partner up? And we did, you know, yeah. so SPI became the 90% owner of a company called eTelecare, uh, which was the first, um, uh, I was the founding chair mm-hmm. and I raised money for it. Uh, you off the back of SPI to fund that business. Uh, once we had turned around SPI, obviously there was money was e- easier to raise. Um, I think I, I don't know how much I raised twenty million dollars or something. No and way! Then, wow. Uh, we built the business up. Um, I remember leasing the first office in Eastwood. Uh, was it Eastwood? Okay. City <laughs> right. building. And at that uh-huh. time, people didn't understand what a call center was, and I said, "Right." They said for people to come in and make long distance calls. Right? <laughs> Yeah, and so you know, we we built that business and and we landed a few marquee accounts. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was American Express and and a few things that gave us the credibility that we could do this work. And and from then on, it was scaling. Right. That is amazing. Now, I would 
how was the infra like? Because at the end of the day, you need to have again top-notch yeah. uh, internet, top-notch, you know, uh, infra. Well, that at you that need. time, it was pure voice. <laughs> at that time, the, the lines were very expensive, you know, uh, mm-hmm. compared to what they are today, and they were very mm-hmm. slow. Uh, you know, there was the fiber still doesn't exist. It was okay. E one lines. Yeah. Uh, I think E one is something like. A few M, a few Mbps. <laughs> what? I think yeah. it's very slow. It's two Mbps. I think for an E1 line. Um, I don't remember now because we don't use E1s anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we use IP lines. Um, right. You know, and so yeah, I remember that. You know, we had budgeted something like forty thousand dollars a month for an E1 line. Um, for one at two Mbps, forty grand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just crazy. to. It was all voice. Uh, it was TDM technology. Mm-hmm. and running on very old uh, well, old by now you know, archaic yeah. on-premise uh, mm-hmm. switching equipment on-prem wow yeah. that's, so that's now the globe does everything all of our call centers are on the cloud yeah. that's amazing now, <laughs> you know, so, yeah so that was that was it and, and uh, you know we were selling the industry as well mm-hmm. uh, to the world mm-hmm. uh, I used to be a spokesperson for the Department of Trade we went oh. around and did, did, did um, road shows because um, mm-hmm. we were competing with India and right, uh, right. as you know, the momentum was with India, not the Philippines at that time, and and we just kept being persistent about it until until we broke the camel's back, and now the Philippines is a great industry. Absolutely. Now I'm curious, how did you now jump from VPO to Globe? Because when you came in again, uh, internet wasn't as it is now. You know, we see we saw the transition, literally coming in from landlines, dial-up internet. To, to you know uh, dumb phones back then there weren't smartphones and you came in but SMS was king uh, around 2000, 2007, 2008, 2009 what was that like when you get into Globe and what was the mindset when you, you got in there and what did you want to do? Yeah, Globe was kind of a, a, an accident as well okay. <laughs> um, after my SPI stint um, you know, we took a company public, which is Italicero Nasdaq. Mm-hmm. Uh, I we I was able to engineer the sale of the company mm-hmm. actually twice. Um, wow! Uh, one between two private equity firms, and and the last one actually with this was to our competitor, ironically, uh, mm-hmm. PLDT, and that was mm-hmm. in two thousand and six. And at that point, I really didn't want to become a um, CEO again. I wanted to become a, a private equity investor. Um, yeah. You know, and and just you know, still the same passion I have today, just helping nurture young CEOs into growing their businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, we started to raise some money. I did put up a fund with a partner who was a investor in SBI, uh, okay. where he ran one of the large private equity firms' uh, operations in Asia. Okay. And so he he knew the fund business. I knew the business management side of things. Okay. And we were going for um, you know a two hundred million dollar fund um, back then, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, raised quite a bit of money uh, very mm-hmm. early on. Uh, but then suddenly got waylaid by uh, the Lehman crisis. Oh man! Oh no! Two thousand eight. Yeah. And so coming out of oh seven, after having an easy fundraise, uh, we got we got stymied in in okay. uh, um, 08 and. I, you know, and uh, I decided to throw in the towel and and just work on my golf swing for a while. Um, <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Did you shoot hole in ones back then? Then that's a lot. No, of I was a pretty low handicapper okay. when I was in the US, and my handicap 
well, I think it was I was at eleven handicap at that time, and I wanted oh, wow. to go back to single digits. Okay. And I was working on my golf swing, and and uh, when you know the, the job offer from Globe came around again a second time because I, I had turned it down in two thousand seven. Okay. Um, and so you know uh, I joined Globe in okay. October. I think it was October or late October of two thousand. Yeah. Got it. And from that point on, what what did you want to build? Because you had this penchant of, again, doing things. And telco back then wasn't as sexy as it is now. Right? There's so much digitalization and you know, with also infra coming in. What was your mindset like? And what, what did you want to build now with you at the helm? Well, Ron, in all honesty, I was only supposed to stay two years, right? So, wow. I really wanted to go back into um, setting up a fund and raising money once again for investments. Okay. Uh, but when I got there, um, what we found was the businesses was in need of transformation, okay. uh, primarily because um, there was a shift coming um, okay. from you know uh, a voice and SMS centric uh, industry uh, to one that would have to deal uh, with data. Right uh, at that time, three G was just coming on. Uh, oh, wow. Four yep. G was on the horizon. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the, the company uh, was very ill-equipped to even handle uh, the disruption about the third player then, which was Sun, if you recall. Right, right. Uh, with the unlimited, uh, right. you know, unlimited uh, te- uh, voice and text. Mm-hmm. You see, this country um, actually um, was a very SMS-centric uh, country for a very long time, as you know. And therefore, we had very thin um, telco infrastructure. Because that's that satisfied what the uh, demand was. Right. Uh, pe- remember, people were not calling; they were texting. Yep. You know, so if you look at uh, load factors for a tempo, SMS is much much lower. You have voice, which is right. much heavier. So we did never had that voice capacity in this industry, mm-hmm. particularly in the back call and everything. Right. And so I was just saying that you know the company was not ready for it. Uh, and so it needed transformation. So the third transformation I was involved in in my career. And um, so we proceeded to actually re- rehabilitate everything in the company, uh, starting with the network. Uh, you know, if it couldn't handle voice, it wouldn't handle data. Got it. Right. And so I, we proceeded to uh, swap out the whole network in 2010. Wow. A radical move considering, you know, it was coming from a CEO who had never worked in telco. Right. Um, and it would mean uh, um, more than doubling the, the company's annual capex um, uh, for one for a couple of years. Um, uh, but it would indeed um, launch the company into the data era um, of right. telecommunications, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, coming into that, you also had to change the culture within Side Globe, uh, right. the culture of uh, customer centricity, innovation. Um, and you know, um, it was really transforming the company from a utility mindset, you know, mm-hmm. into one of a competitive consumer industry mindset. Um, and so we did that. Um, and you know, we brought about innovations. We focused a lot on what customers needed and wanted at the same time, got the technology, which is network and it systems ready. Uh, for the fight, and the IT systems uh, were mostly running in batch. Wow! Whereas, in, when you were in, when you're in data, you need mm-hmm. to be running on real time. Right? You, need to be, you need to be able to put the brakes on 
Uh, remember the bill shock issue? Right. Uh, all the time. <laughs> yeah. right. They don't exist anymore, right? Correct. Because the Correct. systems are all real time. What people get pissed off is they get cut off because they don't pay their bill. Oh, that's on them already. <laughs> but uh, because they're still coming off the old uh, habits where we were unable to cut their bill off because it was bad, right? right. You, know, you process the records after the cutoff and, mm. and they were too late. So, yeah, they would be beyond uh, the time limit and stuff where we were not able to run um, the bills in time uh, given the, the systems were old and slow. Mm-hmm. But now the systems are state-of-the-art, right? Right, so, uh, absolutely. They, they count every uh, bit of data you use uh, for 90 million people and wow. they know that you've hit the, the wall in terms of your limit and they stop you. Or if you didn't Correct. pay your bill, it stops you. You know, so that's what the IT was done, the network was done, the culture was done, and and uh, we worked eight years, and in 2016, we achieved leadership status in, in the mobile industry. Nice. Um, so that culture, I think, was also, I think, very important and very key, mm-hmm. because when we were starting off the transformation, uh, our competitor uh, was so much larger than us. Mm. You know, they had a market cap, I think, which is four times ours. They had an operating wow. cash that is double ours. I mean, they were just huge, right? And, and really, it was impossible to surmount um, the competition. Mm-hmm. And to top it all, they acquired the third player right. in, um, in uh, 2012 or so. Mm-hmm. And that even made us even smaller. Right? And mm-hmm. so we had to really fight back and, and really, you know, uh, gain ground um, slowly uh, over right. the, the eight years or so. And fight back you did. But before we talk about the fight and how you're able to build that, I also want to dissect how you led the team. But let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again. And we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. 
Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back from the break. We're still with Ernest Gu, who's now told us how he was able to transform Globe. Now, I want to deep, deep dive and pay it forward. To, to our listeners, Ernest, and really pick your brain and how you do things. I, I want to start with one thing. What's your leadership style? Because, you know, it, it's very difficult to, to manage a team so big and so, so huge. And how do you make sure things even get done at that level? Well, I'm a big fan of alignment, um, okay. you know, and, and ensuring that people understand what we're all going for and communicating that very clearly. Uh, I've always believed that if you got a great and passionate team behind you, it's much easier to do things. You don't have to watch over their shoulder. Mm. You know, I, I, I don't believe in an audit culture or really, you know, just everything is audited, check, 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 check. You know, right. there's really only so much you can do. It's not scalable. Correct. Uh, you got to build trust in your people. Mm. Uh, you got to build passion in your people. Uh, the people have to love what they're doing, um, particularly in their jobs. Love their company, love their colleagues, love the customers. Right. And, 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 and if you, and if you 
combine all that, um, I think you end up with a truly passionate and driven organization mm-hmm. um, that is really hard to compete with uh, because right. they're self they're self directing, right? Mm-hmm. They they want to do it uh, without management pushing them all the time to do right. it, um, you know. And um, so that's that's kind of what we have tried to build, and I think by and large, it's what we have achieved uh, on Globe today. Got it. I'm curious. So I've always known and understood what a zero to one founder does, you know, getting resources and what they're as a CEO, they call it founder CEO of all these small startup companies. But at a certain level of, of, of where you are now, what, how, how, what's the job like? Because, you know, for us, like, you know, uh, as a startup founder, you have to make sure that you hire the right people, you have to have the proper funding and set the North Star. It's all as easy as that. But now at, at globe scale, what does Ernest Koo do, literally? Actually, it's the same thing, right? I mean, okay. people, to me, are the most important asset, you know? Yeah, yeah, we have tremendous amounts of technology, right, at Globe, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's network technology or IT tech, right, cloud, for that matter. Uh, but it's really the people who run it, you know? Right. So having the best people, um, and I would say get people who are smarter than you, mm-hmm. right? It makes your life easier. And, you know, you don't have to be, a lot of managers are insecure sometimes that, hey, that guy's smarter than me. You know what? I say to them, you got to be, you got to give yourself a pat on the back. You found the guy. Correct. And you manage <laughs> it. Right? It makes your life easier. Mm. So I like hiring people who are smarter than me. Okay. Right? Uh, they may not be the easiest in the world to manage, uh, but um, they, you should really have them on your team. Now, mm-hmm. uh, that being said, it, it's also important that they get along with the culture. To me, those things go should go hand in hand. You can't have a uh, basically a, a really smart guy, but doesn't get along with anyone. Is basically right. a dick, right? You can't right. do that. Right. He won't survive in the company, and it ends up disrupting yeah. whatever harmony there is in a company. Mm-hmm. So I try to strive for that. A lot of collaboration, a lot of harmony. That way, mm-hmm. things get done quickly. People help each other out. And that's why there's a phrase at Globe that we use sometimes it's called friends on a mission and a mission uh, to drive digital adoptness, adoption and enablement into the Philippines and right. improve people's lives. And so when you, when you're, when you're working as friends, I think it's much mm-hmm. easier. Correct. And that's yeah, why well. you know, there's much a lot, yeah, prior to this pandemic. So there are many social events, Correct. right? And we encourage people to get together. Uh, we bring out our executives to uh, forums outside the country uh, and really get them to experience each other and be friends with each other, you know. So I'm very, very clued in on relationships within people at Globe, you know, because it also eliminates the politics, which is something exactly. I can't stand, right? And you know, uh, and make it well known to people. You can't politic your way up the food chain in our right. organization. You can right. politic your way out of the organization, but certainly <laughs> not. You won't progress if you play that kind of game inside. Right. And those doors are pretty big in TGT, by the way. So <laughs> you probably take it out. You choose your door. There's se- several, plenty of them through the glass too. Now I have a question also. What if people fail? Now, I'm pretty sure failure is a part of any, again, in startups that we always say that, you know, learn, fail to learn and whatnot. But at, at that scale, how do, you, what, how do you encourage people to keep uh, pushing through even if they don't hit their targets? Well, I think, especially when it's something new, right? Um, We all know that there is a likelihood of failure. Mm -hmm. But what's important is that uh, we've quantified Mm -hmm. what it is if you fail. And you try to limit uh, the exposure, right? 
that's why I, I also like to begin with smaller experiments before you go mm. scale and go big, right? Got it. Test the waters, you run a few things, and then you pour in the capital when the time is right. Mm. I mean, uh, Gcash is a good example. That was a failure in the oh, beginning. was it? Okay. Been around for 15 years. I mean, you know, try, imagine doing the Gcash use cases today on an SM, on, a, on a feature phone with SMS. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> yes, okay. yes, it won't, it won't That's work. That's what it was. Yeah, but... But um, I, I did feel that it's time will come, okay. right? And so while it was a failure, we decided to say, hey, you know, it's a failure today, yeah. but it may not be a failure for the future. Its failure was timing. Mm. The product concept early was for its time. Yeah. Time, right? you had, we were doing it uh, when we had 2G Nokia phones. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember. You have your high-end Samsung, right. Apple, Huawei phones, right? Mm. Which are state-of-the-art in terms of, right. of processing power. So it's very different, right? And, and mm. so timing is also of the essence. But, at Globe, you know, if you fail, admit the failure, you learn from it. Mm -hmm. uh, the important thing is don't do it again. Got it. Right? And, uh, and, and you also anticipated that you could fail. Mm. If it's going to fail, this is what's going to cost us. And we all sign up for that and we go. Got it. Right. Okay. So a That's lot of amazing. experiments are run um, in the company. Okay. Now I'm also curious uh, to again dig in deeper. Because yeah, a lot of founders, like especially startup founders, again, I'm, I can only empathize with them. Never been able to do a company or work in a company at this scale. There's a lot of things that keep us up at night. You know, payroll. You know, <laughs> or not having like, competitors. The pandemic. For you, Ernest, what still keeps you up at night? Uh, for 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 Core Globe. Well, there's still quite a number of things. Uh, obviously, the situation we're in is so mm -hmm. uncertain. Um, uh, right now, if you ask me, um, it's how consumer spending will be. I'm very concerned about the current situation of the economy. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, we are a consumer company at the end of the day. Right? With that many subscribers, you know, we cover the whole gamut in terms of uh, segments in, in, in the Philippines. Um, I, I see uh, GDP declining. I see remittances declining. Uh, that has to take consumer demand with it, and, if cons and it's a consumption-driven economy. Right. Um, and so I think there's going to be uh, an issue uh, with uh, people's, the size of people's wallets. And they're going to have to allocate, you know, and uh, while telco is high up in the food chain mm -hmm. um, in terms of ne necessities, uh, I still think there's going to be quite a bit of challenge, right? Um, uh, as far as the telco industry is concerned, I think we're here to stay. Mm -hmm. You know, there's two very strong players right now. There's a, there's a couple of guys trying to, to come up in various segments. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's going to be a stable set of uh, yeah. demand uh, from the consumers uh, moving forward. Uh, but will consumers have the money is the right, um, is a question I always have in my mind. And, and cause this pandemic ain't going away and Absolutely. it's not going to go away for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, it's going to be, um, a question of how we operate, uh, with this in the environment. I think there's some businesses that say, oh, there's going to be gone by December or it's going to be uh, gone by first mm -hmm. quarter. I'm of the opinion it's going to be here, uh, all through 2021. Because even if the vaccine is found, deploying the, logistics, the vaccine yeah. <laughs> uh, and getting people to accept the vaccine, especially the Philippines, where nobody ever likes to be first vaccinated, yeah. right? Um, it's going to be a problem, right? Yeah. And that's going to be a very, very slow thing. And infections are going to continue. 
Got it. Last few questions before I let you go. I've had so many uh, guests here prior that turned to you for advice. I had, the, of course, Martin is there, and he said one advice that you know it still stuck with me today. That he, when when you said that if you, you don't tell me your problem, it's your problem. But when you tell uh, he tells you your problem, it's your problem together. And you have the minettes of the world. We have Brian Koo also, which by the way, not his son. Okay, I just had the last name. That turned to you for advice, but for for you, Ernest. Who do you turn to for advice, and what do you usually ask uh, for, from those people that, uh, that you ask advice for? Because regardless of where we are in life, you always need that sound advice, and I want to understand where that comes for you. Well, this, that's, it's not more of advice, but sounding board. You know, checking your ideas uh, at this time, uh, because uh, advice, I think, at this stage, you know, you're, you're the guys paid to give that advice, Correct. but you can't be right all the time. Um, so I have our board, primarily our chairman, um, uh, Jaza. Jaza. He and yep. I are, we regularly uh, speak. If you would talk about a sounding board for business and decisions, he would be the guy I turn to quite a time. Okay. You know, over um, a nice drink, we'd chat about um, what's go. going on. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? I think it's a big risk or this and that. So maybe I want a large decisions before I make them. Because um, he, he, you know, um, he always allows me to make the decision. Um, and, and, you know, I, I go by his opinion because he's one step removed from the company right. and, and that's really important to get an outside in view, uh, mm-hmm. of, 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 um, the issue at hand. And I think it's been very, very valuable, um, uh, for me. Um, mm-hmm. and if I have to go further, I, I go up, uh, with my Singtel colleagues as well. I do call them and say, Hey, what do you think of this? Um, the other Singtel CEOs, uh, would also become, uh, good sounding boards. Uh, the CEO of India, uh, in fact, is a close friend of mine of Airtel. Um, uh, you know, so he, he runs a bigger operation than I do, and in, in a more competitive environment than I have here. And so he's always a good one to um, uh, to use. Right. So got it. Now let's talk about the future, right? Because again, you guys have always been at the forefront of innovation in the Philippines through Kickstart, investing in startups here, and now recently through 917 Ventures. What's the future like that you envision now, especially with, with Globe being at the front front and digital as, as we're all digital natives now, and how are you investing towards that future uh, very soon? Well, I think uh, there's still quite a bit of room um, for digital in the Philippines, given the pace of adoption for Filipinos is slow. Um, you know, Gcash has been an outstanding product uh, for about a year, but, you know, it only took off uh, when people were forced into it uh, because, you know, I think the Filipino habit is, like I said, I don't want to be first, Yeah. but when everybody piles in, I don't, I can't be last either. Got it. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, so you got to get <laughs> to, that, to that tipping point where people yeah. all want it. Uh, there's still quite a bit of opportunity because the Philippines is still fraught with uh, a lot of manual process and manual um, type of um, activities going on. Healthcare, for instance, I think is right for transforming. Absolutely. I think people are now, uh, you know, um, realizing why the hell did we have to go to our doctor's office all the time <laughs> to see <laughs> Correct. when there's a Zoom call and an electronic Correct. prescription um, and you can pay him through GCash and, and that's mm-hmm. it. Right? Whereas you had to drive, go to the doctor's clinic, which is typically mm-hmm. in the hospital, you got to park, mm-hmm. then you got to go up an elevator, you got to wait there. And then all for what? He just tells you the same thing he could have told you. Correct, <laughs> uh, correct. So, you know, that's, that's just an example, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so as people realize that, mm-hmm. I think the, uh, the kind of openness to accept digital um, mm-hmm. is going to be there. 
Um, and there's still a lot more opportunities and we just have to find those. Right? Um, now I think the, the critical part is trying to understand what the new sets of needs are in the face of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for a, a homemaker, for instance, or a student uh, or a business person, everything has changed. It changed completely. Yeah. You know, uh, people are doing things they never did. Um, the home is now the center of right. everything in people's lives. It no longer is the office. Mm -hmm. right? uh, I used to be a person who spends more time in the office than at home. Uh, yep. If you think about a whole year or traveling. And all that's gone. Everything is at home. Right? <laughs> right. Uh, and so, you know, for people who used to have 20 Mbps of connectivity, it's no longer enough mm. because th these wires, if you call it, or these these lines are, are needed almost, you know, all waking hours, mm. right? You know, it used to be only used for entertainment at night. Now it's used for study, for work, Correct. for entertainment, for lifeline communications, mm. uh, for commerce, for shopping. So, it, it, you know, so I think there's still quite a bit of uh, um, um, opportunity uh, using this connectivity that we have to enable many things, many functions right. in the world. And your uh, telco has never been in Globe, uh, for instance. I'm heavy Globe user. Thank you, Globe Platinum. <laughs> uh, in making this work, I couldn't run my startup without uh, the proper connectivity that, oh, that you guys bring. So thank you for that. And again, there's still more work to be done. Last question before I let you go. What's your advice for businesses and entrepreneurs during this pandemic? Because a lot of startups are also struggling businesses. Again, nobody's immune to this, right? Regardless of who you are, you got hit one way or another. What, what are your, you've seen as fair share of success, some failure and whatnot, but how do we keep pushing through in your eyes? Well, I think, you know, the, the appropriate answer is pivot, right? Because the businesses were started a whole, under a whole different set of conditions and assumptions. The assumption that the consumer was a certain way. Okay. You can't force an old business into the new habit or the new reality about this consumer. You gotta adjust your business, right? And but there are just some businesses that will not work, right? If you uh, let's just say they, they, again, not not to demean a business, but a buffet right, right. business, right? You remember yeah. these buffets that yeah, were gonna work this time, right? Are you gonna work a buffet this time? Mm -hmm. Yes, some you know. Uh, they're going to do a food delivery, but I don't get it. Right? Because the concept was that the, the, the attraction was all you can eat. Correct. It doesn't work. So, so it's time to change, right? Either you, you, you take apart your food business, take it apart and figure out which parts of it can survive and how do I pay about the new product. It may be a different brand now. Mm. Uh, but again, like I said, it's, it's, you got to understand the consumer and start from there. That you. Right? You, you know, yes. And, and also be, be bold enough to say it's done, it's over. Okay. I got to go and move on, right? Uh, this phase of this particular business, okay, maybe it's in the same industry, is over. But I got to go move to the next phase. Uh, because banging your head self against, head against the wall or waiting, if you got a lot of capital, you can wait. Right. Right? Um, I, think, I think you can. But pivoting to adapt to what is new today, I think is going to be critical. Again, thank you very much, Ernest, for such an amazing episode. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And if we did say some jargon, don't worry, we got you. It's going to be in the hustleshare.com show notes. Uh, just check it out. And again, if you want to grow how you build this community, go to the Hustleshare community on Facebook. And lastly, message us in our chatbot at m.me slash hustleshare powered by chatbot.ph. Ernest, again, thank you very much. 
Thanks, Ron. I'm glad to join you finally on Hustle Share. Thanks. Um, good to see you again. Appreciate it. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.